Go ahead and be seated. I think after singing that last song, why don't you think about the goodness of God? Think about how good He is to you. And you know what? That goes so far beyond material possessions, doesn't it? The goodness of God to send His Son to bear the wrath of God for your sin on the cross. And He did it willingly and He did it perfectly so that you now have the righteousness of God. Think about this. If you're born again, God dwells in you. Sometimes we try to put the Holy Spirit as not really God. Don't do that. He is a person and He is fully God. And He lives inside of you to guide you into all truth, the Bible says. It's an amazing thing. Um, when you think about the goodness of God, think about and go beyond just the material things of life. And so I'd like to make this prayer time just a thank you time. What do you have to say thanks to God for? Maybe you've taken for granted. Maybe you hadn't really thought about it. Or maybe, remember those lepers came to Jesus for healing. And then when they saw that they were, as they headed to the temple, that with every step they took, they became, their skin became clear. For nine of them, that just motivated them to get to the temple quicker and be declared clean. For one of them, he couldn't take it. He had to go back to Jesus and he had to say thank you. Don't be the nine. Be the one this morning and go before the Lord and let's think about his goodness and let's give him thanks for that. And let's just have a prayer time today. Doesn't mean we don't care about the sick. It doesn't mean we don't care about the suffering or anything. It's not that. It's just that we recognize God, no matter what we're going through, is so good and he has been so good to us. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes and just have a Thanksgiving time now? Think about the goodness of God and thank him for it. Father, uh, we can't help think about the scripture that says, in everything, give thanks. We like to wait until we feel it. We like to wait until the victory comes. We like to wait until the problem is solved. And you didn't say that. In everything, give thanks. There are some people going through some things right now that are horrific. But I pray that this would refresh their soul, encourage their heart to think about a God who never stops being good, a God who does things for us far beyond what we deserve. All this and heaven too. Carl Kerrigan would say, my, my. And we want to thank you, Lord, that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that as we go through trials and storms that we didn't ask for and we didn't anticipate, thank you that it never changes who you are. 
And thank you, Father, that even in those times, your goodness reigns upon us. Thank you for the trials. And thank you for the blessings that come upon us through those trials. May we serve you and love you all the time and testify of your goodness all the time and think, think about the fact that you've been good not just to the world and not just to everyone else but God has been so good to me may we all think about that now and we praise you in Jesus name amen and amen okay take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 23 Exodus 23 and uh, people of God, the children of Israel, are still at uh, Sinai, and they haven't left yet. They have just received the Ten Commandments, and God has been giving them some different case studies so that they will know how to apply the law that they've been given, and so they can see <coughs> practical <coughs> excuse me, examples of that law working out in everyday situations. But when we get on down to this part in um, chapter 23, and we're going to start reading in just a moment uh, down at verse 20, and uh, I want to tell you why God includes this in his word and why it's important for us to know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul says... Now these things, and he's speaking about Old Testament things, and he's speaking specifically about the redemption of Israel out of slavery. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands Take heed lest he fall. And when I read that, it reminds me that those people going through slavery all of those years, they didn't ask for that. They didn't want that. And those people, that particular generation that was blessed by God to hear Moses go through the Passover and be let go and experience the Red Sea and all of that, that must have been something. But they didn't really ask for that. They didn't even know that it was coming. They were chosen for that. And these things, notice Paul said, they happened to them. Some of them were great. Some of them were very pleasant. Some of them were very happy. Some of them were hard. Some of them were tough. Some of them were uh, even under the discipline, divine discipline of God. And yet Paul said, they happened for us. So we don't dare take this for granted. He also says, they were written down, making uh, mention then of the inspiration of the scriptures. They were written down in the eternal word of God on a permanent record. You know, your teacher always told you, at least mine did, in uh, third grade, that kind of thing. This is going to go on your permanent record and uh, I thought that would be with me all the rest of my life. I don't know what happened to my permanent record. I got a feeling it wasn't quite as permanent as they wanted me to think. But the Word of God is. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall endure how long? Forever. Good job. Good job. And when we think about all of that, this story was written here. It happened for us, and it was written that we might be able to go back and review it and learn from it. They were our examples. Now, an example can be a good example, or it can also be a bad example. And sometimes, to their shame, the example is not real good. This, after all, is the generation that was liberated from Egypt, that saw the miracle of Passover, that walked through the Red Sea on dry land, that was eating manna, the food of angels, the New Testament says, and (coughs) drinking water from the rock, and that rock was Christ. I mean, miracles happen in the wilderness. Don't think that in the wilderness they were just wandering around until somebody stumbled on the Jordan River. No, they were led in that. Miracles took place. Their clothes didn't wear out. God provided for them a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. I mean, it was exciting. And yet we find time after time, this generation did not believe God. And when it came time to cross the river into the promised land, Canaan, they didn't want to go. They looked and they said, the cities are too big. The people are like giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they didn't want to go. God is speaking right now to the people who aren't going to make it. The people who aren't going to enter the promised land, which, by the way, includes Moses. There's got to be something in here then for us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. When Paul wrote that, the New Testament didn't exist, but the Old Testament did. All Scripture, Old Testament especially, is inspired by God and it's profitable. So God is putting this down to give us examples, to give us warnings, and to give us instruction as to how we ought to be and how we are not to be. So when I look at all of this and I think about the questions I want to ask, when God speaks here, about Canaan, about the promised land, how are they going to get there? What are they going to do after they get there? And how do they stay there? Well, we're going to read together. I'm going to make the point. It's a long passage. I'm going to make the point and then read the scripture. Now, number one, I want you to write down they were led. They were led. They weren't just wandering. I don't know where that phrase came from, that they wandered in the wilderness But somehow I think we've got the wrong idea. Everywhere they went in the wilderness, even in the 40 years of punishment where that one generation had to die out before the next generation could go into the land, God did not forsake them. God did not leave leave them on their own. He led them even during that time. And he's promising to do it here, a promise to the nation Look at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. In other words, keep you from straying, to keep you on the right path. And 
to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Now beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon or overlook your transgressions. They're going to be dealt with. For my name is in him. Now this angel is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's identified with Yahweh God, and he is the one that has control over sin that is overlooked. Sometimes the Bible says in the book of Acts that God winks at sin, and sometimes he deals straightforwardly with it. In this case, they are promised, if you disobey this one, the angel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is not going to say, ah, forget it, no big deal. There's going to be consequences. Now, in this case, the consequence for this generation is they came to Kadesh Barnea. They were getting ready to cross the Jordan, and the people said, can't be done. God said, I'm giving you the land and the people and the cities, and the people said, can't be done, and they turned back in that day. Let me tell you something, they never got another chance to cross. That generation passed away, except for Joshua and Caleb. That generation lost their ability to go into the promised land. In fact, when some of them tried, the Lord turned them back. Why? There's a myth today that says everybody deserves a second chance. And I want to tell you, you don't always get a second chance. There are some things the Lord says, this is what I'm calling you to do, and the call is today. And we go, I'll, I'll do it in six months or six years. I'll do it when the kids are grown. I'll do it when my finances are in order. <clears throat> I'll do it some other time, Lord. I'll get to it, but I'll wait. And the Lord says, nope, the call was for today. There is no going back to it. This is a today calling. There are things that you need to do now or you're never going to get around to them. There are opportunities and doors that are open for you and for your family and even for the church that may not be open tomorrow. They may not be open in 10 years. They're doors that we are supposed to walk through now. And so God says, I'm going to send you a leader, my angel. But don't provoke him and do what he says because if you don't, there will be negative consequences to your disobedience. Boy, did they ever find that out while they were going through the wilderness. They would find out all kinds of things. For example, when Aaron built them a golden calf while Moses is up on the mountain, were there consequences to that? When you think about the times when the ground would open up and people would fall into it, were there consequences? Yes. And some things just can't be undone. And some things can't be duplicated. Some things were for a specific time, a specific place, a specific situation, a specific calling, and they can never be worked up again or recreated you're either going to obey or you're not going to obey. And God takes it seriously. And they're doing all of this under the leadership of this angel. 
They would see the pillar of cloud by day, and they would see the pillar of fire by night. And in the light of the pillar of fire, they knew where to camp. And in the daylight, and when they would see the pillar of cloud begin to move, they would pack up and they would follow. They knew exactly where they were supposed to be at every given moment in the wilderness. And oh, for part of that, it must have been so thrilling and so exciting for them to know God has a plan for us. God is making a way for us. God is providing for us. God has chosen us. God is leading us. We know exactly what to do and where to go. Now think about this. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire disappeared when they went into Canaan. Their clothes and their shoes for 40 years didn't wear out in the wilderness. But as soon as they crossed the river, their clothes began to wear out. Their shoes began to wear out. They were going to have to make new clothes and make new shoes. When they were in the wilderness, there was food, even though they didn't like it, every single day. But when they crossed the river, the man quit. It's time to get a plow. It's time to get your oxen. It's time to plant a crop. It's time to go to work. When they were in the wilderness, all of these things are happening. And as long as their heart and attitude was right, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. But when their heart got wrong, and when they strayed from the Lord and became ungrateful and hard-hearted, which is part of why we did the prayer time we just did, then something disastrous began to happen to the children of Israel who had seen so many great things. And folks, the same thing can happen to us. We can be thrilled about God. Our salvation experience can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. It can be that we have seen miracles and answered prayer and God seems so close until we become ungrateful, until we decide we're going to do things ourselves, until we decide to go our own way. Or it may be that you've crossed into Canaan, the promised land, and you start seeing these things that are different because in Canaan, we're going to see they had to get ready to fight. In Canaan, they had to get ready to plow. In Canaan, they had to get ready to do those other things. That's why I don't believe Canaan is a picture of heaven. It's something else for us. And so that leads us to the next point. There they are in the presence of God, being led by God. But secondly... Notice that they were given promises. Do you have a promise that's a favorite of yours? Do you kind of have a, maybe a life promise? Do you have something maybe that your mother or your father shared with you when you were little? We sing standing on the promises, and yet if we don't know what those promises are, how can we stand on them? Some people mistakenly say, well, I just take all of them. You don't want all of the promises. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the wages of sin is death. I don't want that promise. I want the promise of redemption and the promise of life. I don't want the promise that are curses. And God keeps his word in everything he does, whether his promise is a positive, helpful one, or whether it is a negative curse. God always keeps his word. 
Listen to what he said to these people in verse 22. But if you indeed obey his voice, the voice of the Lord through that angel, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Hey, how many of you would like the Lord to fight your battles? See, that's what he's saying. I'm going to take care of business. Verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You know, he's telling them, I promise. If God could put his hand on a Bible and raise his right hand, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're seeing here. This is God giving you his word by his name, by his power, and he is saying, I am going to get you into the land. Well, how do we handle all these people? They've got civilization. They've got cities. They've got military. They've got weapons. And God says this, if, big if, if you obey my voice and the voice of my angel, then here's what I'll do. I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will be an adversary to your adversaries. Boy, that's a great promise. And the promise is that they're not just going to stumble upon the land. They will be led into the land. And when they get into the land, it'll be the Lord's power, the Lord himself, that will fight for them, fight their enemies, and secure the land for them. And so there are promises that are given. It reminds me in the New Testament of the Apostle Peter saying, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Do we claim those promises? Are we even aware of those promises? Do we take them just at a surface thing? Or do we study them to find out what they mean and how they're to be applied? And do we live by promise? Warren Wiersbe said, God's people don't live by explanation. They live by promise. And you and I are to stand on those promises no matter what may be coming our way. God has promised to be with you. God has promised to guide you. God has promised to be your strength. God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. All of those things are the promises of God. Then we get to number three. Go down to verse 24. They had fair warning. They couldn't say we didn't know or why didn't anybody tell us. Look at verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods. Oh, we've got a problem there. Because time after time after time after time after time, when we read through the Old Testament, what did Israel do? What did kings do? Even good kings sometimes. They bowed down to other gods. God said, you shall not bow down to their gods, the Canaanite gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Verse 25. 
so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless you. He'll bless your bread and your water. And I will make sickness, I will take sickness away from the midst of you, and no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. And I will fulfill the number of your days. Now notice that when he says, Here's what I will do if you obey me. Well, couldn't the converse, isn't he saying the converse is true if you don't? If you don't, your bread, your daily bread won't be blessed. Your water won't be blessed. There will be miscarriages. There will be those who are barren. And we know that the people of God in Israel were not steadfast in their walk with God. And so we read through the stories of the Old Testament exactly what God warned them about taking place in their lives and in their land. And we read that God is truthful to his word, both on the blessing side and on the discipline side. God is not a negligent parent. He knows what his children are doing. He knows why they are doing it. He knows the whole story that's going on. And he deals with it accordingly. So these people were led. They were given promises. But they were also given warnings. Much more than the don't make me come in there type of warning. Sometimes that parents give just to calm their kids down for a little bit. God actually means it. And we need to understand that he means it even today. We may look at grace and say... Oh, my sins are paid for. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, but the consequences still come into your life and into my life. And let's look at uh, number four. They also had God's power. When we read about this, this is really all about the power of God. The power of God to lead them. The power of God to fulfill his promises. The power of God to carry out his threats. And now notice when we get to verse 27. I will send my fear before you, and I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. When somebody's got their back to you, they're running from you, in other words. Verse 28, and I will send, this makes me cringe, hornets before you, which shall drive the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. In other words, I'm only going to do this as you're capable and as you're ready and as you are prepared. Okay? And so he says, we'll do it little by little, verse 30, little by little. I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and until you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea Philistia and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand <clears throat> and you shall drive them out before you. You shall, make <clears throat> you shall make no covenant with them, 
And yet they did, didn't they? Nor with their gods, and they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now God is saying, I'm not throwing you into a mess and then leaving you. I'm not throwing you into something that is so big that you're not going to be able to handle it. Well, wait a minute, back up. Yes, he is. He's throwing them into a situation that they can't handle. You know, some people say God will never give us more than we can handle. Well, he does it all the time. The key, though, is when we read these verses, what is the power here? It's not the power of the Israelis. It's not the power of their swords. It's not the power of their numbers. The power is the power of God. And notice how many times in there God says, I will, I will, I will, the same way we're supposed to live. God never asks you to do things for him. He asks you to yield to him so that he can do great things through you. It's always by the power of God. Had a teenager that came up to me one time and uh, introduced himself to me. And uh, he said, you pro-, this is when we went back to Chelsea one time for a revival. And uh, he said, you probably don't remember me. And I said, no, I sure don't. And he goes, well, I was just a little kid. And uh, now he was an adult. And he said, but you saved me. Let that sink in. You saved me. I didn't save him. I told him how to be saved. But you and I know the only way anyone is saved is that the Spirit draw him. That he is given faith to believe that he understands the gospel. And if that young man got saved, it wasn't me, but it was the power of God. Now, did God use me? Apparently. Hopefully. But it wasn't me. And you and I have to get it through our heads. There are things that God does through us and only us. There are things that God does through other people and only other people. We're not a bunch of robots. We're not a bunch of clones. We're individuals. And as we walk down the path that God has chosen for us, there are some of you that are going to walk down a path where it seems like everything you do turns to gold. You would like to be chosen for that path, but you're probably not. You're probably chosen to walk alone sometimes. You're probably chosen to dodge arrows and bullets. You're probably chosen to have ridicule and to have scorn. But that doesn't mean that something went wrong. That doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. That doesn't mean that you have necessarily veered off the path means that God is leading you in a place that you can't handle so he can show his mighty power through you and he will be your defender as you go through these things. Now, when we look back and think about what Paul said, these things were written as examples for us and they were written so that we might learn from these things 
And in another place we're warned so that we won't become like this generation. I think that when you look back, you see a picture in all of this. A picture of before salvation, that slavery in Egypt. You were slaves to sin. Pharaoh was Satan. He controlled you. And then you were redeemed by Christ and brought out of slavery. And you went through the Red Sea, your baptism. And then you were in the wilderness. As we said earlier, the wilderness is not a bad place to be if you're supposed to be there. Being a baby Christian is no sin if you're indeed a baby Christian. The sin is when we don't grow. The sin is when we should be somewhere else, but we're still in the wilderness. The sin is when we have seen God work and seen God's power, but we're still refusing to believe Him. The sin is when we are worse at the end of the wilderness time than we were at the beginning. And that's where the Israelis were at the beginning They were one thing. They had to grow. They had to learn. They weren't perfect. But at the end of the wilderness time, when they should have gone into Canaan, they were a mess, and they didn't go, and so they had to die in the wilderness, right? Well, what in the world is Canaan? Well, so many times, Canaan, the promised land or whatever, is presented as heaven. Well, it's true. Heaven is a promised land. But when you look at the picture here, Think about what God just said. I'm going to have an angel that's going to lead you. Now don't provoke him. Is God warning us that if we somehow make Jesus mad, we're not going to go to heaven? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't square up with what the New Testament teaches. Is God saying when he promises them... I'm going to drive out your, the, the people from before you and put my fear in their hearts. Is God saying that heaven is inhabited by enemies? By bad people? And he's going to drive them out before we get there? That doesn't make any sense. When the Lord warns, don't stray. Don't stray or there'll be consequences. In other places, he warned them, I'll kick you out of the land. Is God saying that when we get to heaven... If we don't worship right, sing right, think right, act right, that he's going to kick us out of heaven. And we look at those things and we go, well, that doesn't square up. Is God saying that when we get to heaven, we're going to have to fight? We're going to have to fight our enemies and conquer the land and do all of that? That makes zero sense, folks. Zero. What I think is that Egypt represents our life before Christ. The wilderness represents our life after we are saved, when we are learning about God and learning to trust God, and He's showing us who He is. And that Canaan is what Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and then you might have it abundantly. The Israelis going into Canaan, yeah, a lot of things disappeared. The manna the quail, the pillar of fire, all of that. But I'll tell you what they got, though. Plenty of food. They got vineyards they didn't plant. They had wheat crops they didn't plant. They had cities that they didn't build. I mean, it was an amazing thing. They became landowners when they were in Canaan. They had been slaves before, and people owned them. Now they were owning the land, farming the land, tilling the land, and they had something they would pass on to their sons. 
They would pass it on to their children. They would pass it on to their grandchildren. And for generation after generation, they had this abundance that would be passed on to their heirs. They had never been able to do that before. Why? Because now they're living an abundant life. And I'll conclude by saying this. If you think the abundant life is when everything goes smooth, you're not reading your Bible. When you think the abundant life is when everything just falls into place and you don't even have to break a sweat, you're not reading your Bible. When you cross Jordan and go into the abundant life, you've still got battles to fight, but you've got the strength of the Lord in which to fight them. When you cross into Jordan, you've got land to till, crops to plant, crops to harvest. When you get into Jordan, you've got enemies that you're going to have to fight and enemies you're going to have to conquer. When you get into the abundant life, you've got idols. That's why we talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Idols that have to be destroyed. You can't tolerate them or you'll be out of the abundant life. And some people have settled for wilderness wanderings in their life. And I hope you haven't. I hope you want what Jesus died to give you, that abundant life. But when you get ready to cross Jordan, you better strap on your sword. You better have the mindset, this is not going to be an easy life. But it is going to be an abundant life. Jesus never said, I've come that you might have life and it might become easy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers. Better put your armor on. Better be ready. And as you think about your life, are you still in Egypt where you've never been saved? Will you trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross so that he can deliver you from Pharaoh, from the devil, and set you free? Are you a person where you have been saved and you have been baptized, but now you're just kind of going along, doing your own thing, and you find yourself constantly making mistakes, misinterpreting what God says, disobeying God, and displeasing God. Hey, it's time to get your act together, and it's time to start looking to God seriously, and it's time to start obeying Him the way you know you're supposed to, so that He can bring you to the Jordan and bring you into that abundant life where you can live as more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Where your walk with God can be like Paul said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists a bunch of things that he had experienced and could say from experience, not theory, these things cannot conquer your soul when Christ is with you. And then the abundance as your life becomes fruitful, as you begin to have grain, not only for you and for your family, but you can feed other people and give part of it away, that you have a vineyard, and not only can you eat and drink from it, but you can share the resources that you have. Do you notice that in the wilderness, there was no generosity? But in Canaan, tremendous generosity is available because of the provision of God. And all of it is because they were led, right? They claimed the promises. They obeyed the warnings. And they had the power of God with them. How do you get the abundant life? It's by the leadership of the Lord. If we walk in the Spirit, 
As the Bible says, he's going to lead us to the abundant life. It's knowing the promises of God so that you don't get discouraged when the enemy attacks. It's also understanding the warning of God that you'd better take God and his words seriously. He means what he says. And fourthly, that when you go into that land, you're not going to part the Jordan River. God is. You're not going to make the walls of Jericho fall. God is. And you begin to understand that everything I am and anything that I will ever be, Andre Crouch said, let it go to Calvary. Well, that's just a way of saying, let us understand whatever it is that happens in our life, especially the good things. It was God who did it through us. And as the song says, we have never walked alone. I pray that wherever you are, the Spirit is drawing you out this morning into that next step all the way to the abundant life. And that before you die, you get to live in the promised land. Before you die, you'll be in Canaan. Before you die, you will experience God like never, ever before. Because he's the one that brought you into that place. And when you leave and die from the abundant life, from Canaan, that you go out shouting to God, be the glory, and talk about what he has done for you for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for those who are in a spiritual Egypt under the bondage of Pharaoh. And we ask you, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to give them understanding of the gospel. Draw them to the cross of Calvary and let them put their full faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And I pray for those who have done that, but their life has been nothing but frustration, chastisement, problems and trials that don't seem to resolve. And they've always been tricked by the enemy and not walking in faith and belief, but in unbelief and doubt. God, I pray that you would work in their heart and show them who you are and let them trust you and trust your word. And I pray, Father, for those who have come to the place to where they take God and his word and his warnings about sin very casually. And they don't really care. They don't really think about it. And they don't understand they're going to reap what they sow. Oh, Father, by your grace, would you draw them out of that and let them take you and your word seriously. And then, Father, I pray for all of us that before we die, we would experience the crossing of the Jordan into Canaan, the abundant life of Christ. And even though we're fighting, even though we have battles, even though we have problems and trials, we also have your power fighting for us. And we see the victory, the victorious life that Christ died to give us. And I pray this for all of us and for our church. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.